0: BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's Got Your Back. Search BT's Got Your Back.
1: Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. There's only two weeks to go now until Times Radio launches on June the 29th with my new politics show from 10am. Monday to Thursday you'll be able to listen to Times Radio on DAB app smart speaker and online at times.radio and when the station launches you'll have a lot more red box podcasts in your life as we bring the best of my radio show every day that we are on air through the podcast. Uh, So make sure you subscribe to where you get your podcast from. I also want your help. Uh, I want to take the best of the podcast onto the radio show. Uh, So what have been the issues that we've covered, whether it's the people or the policies or the politics or whatever, uh, that you think we should look at again? Who have been the great guests that you want to hear more from, apart from today's obviously? Uh, Email me matt.chorley at times.radio and you'll basically be doing me a massive favour. And if you particularly want to sponsor my show and you want to get your checkbook out, then please do definitely get in touch matt.chorley at times.radio so to this week's episode this week's big question what is rishi sunak up to uh, there were whispers that the chancellor might have designs on the top job while his cabinet colleagues were complaining about the criminality of some black lives matters protesters he put out a statement about how as a british asian he knows racism exists and we had to work collectively to end it. He's been wooing backbench MPs with meetings where he's been essentially calling, or at least hinting, that he thinks the two-metre rule should be relaxed. He's been splashing the cash on major economic schemes, huge sums of money, to make Tory traditionalists blush. Never mind his soaring rhetoric at the press conferences, his incredible social media output, and that hoodie. Not many politicians who can pull off a hoodie, but he seemed to, and added to the Deploratives for dishy wishy. So, what is Wishy Sunak up to? To answer that question, I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Swinford, the deputy political editor of the Times, and Samishar, former special advisor to Sajid Javid uh, when he was at the uh, the Home Office, uh, Housing Secretary, uh, and Business Secretary. Welcome to you both. So, Steve, let's start with you because you you've been sort of keeping an eye on the Chancellor up until now. What has he been so- doing, and what is he up
2: to? Rishi Sunak is a very good politician. He's been talking the language of Tory MPs. Last week, he met backbenchers on the 1922 committees. I was talking to one member of the executive and they said, we went to him, we asked him to do three half hour sessions with Tory MPs because of social distancing. We never thought he'd agree to it. And he agreed to all three. And suddenly we're there and that's it. We've got Rishi Sunak for an hour and a half in the middle of the coronavirus crisis talking to Tory MPs. And that talks a lot. I'm hearing from cabinet ministers that they are worried that Boris is not doing enough to build bridges with backbenchers. Well, here you have it. You have Rishi Sunak directly building bridges with backbenchers for one and a half hours during a meeting of the 1922
1: committee. To what extent do you think that some of what we're going to talk about him doing, is it just what a good politicians should be doing and you know it's just notable that maybe downing street isn't doing that sort of wooing or is there something more to it than that do you think
2: I think there is something more to it than that. I think it shows a degree of political intelligence that he's worked out that he needs, obviously, to get the backbenchers on side, and they were delighted with him. So he pushed very hard on two metres at the meeting, uh, which we reported on at the Times extensively. He was saying that there are 24 other countries that already have flexibility over the two metre matter. He was saying that there'd be huge numbers of pubs that would be basically be unable to open because of the two metre rule, and he was talking their language when when he when they asked him, "Well, are you going to cut?" taxes he smiled and they were quite pleased with that so he took any question and took all questions at the meeting and it went down very well Summer, what do you make of him? Are you a a Rishi fan?
3: Actually, I'm a huge Rishi fan. And um, when I worked at the housing ministry, he was one of our ministers. I think it was his first ministerial post. And I have to say, he is undeniably an incredibly impressive individual. I mean, the stakeholders loved him. uh, You know, his colleagues loved him. The officials loved him. Um, and I think there was a really interesting profile that was uh, done of him um, recently, and um, in it there was a quote from Sajid Javid's former chief of staff at the Treasury, um, who I think encapsulated Rishi perfectly by saying that there are very few politicians who can do the big picture and the detail as well as Rishi, and. Just to sort of go back to Steve's point about, you know, the way that he dealt with questions and fitting it into this like greater sort of um, narrative push around, you know, building bridges. He can go out there, see the need for building those relationships, but also he's got such an amazing grip of the detail that you can throw anything at him and he can answer it very competently and give that confidence to people, which I think is so rare in politicians in even good times that it, it really stands out at a time of crisis
1: like this. We should remember as well that he's not a long-time veteran minister. He was only been in the Treasury for a few months as Chancellor. He was, he was Chancellor for a month before he had to deliver his first budget after your old boss, uh, Saeed Javid, resigned. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of all the more impressive, if you like, that it's not someone who's been knocking around the Cabinet table for, for donkey's years and just happens to find themselves in the heart of this, this economic crisis. How unusual is it for someone to... I mean, I was going to say, how unusual is it? I mean, anyone looking at the current cabinet could see it's pretty unusual. But how unusual is it that um, <laughs> for someone to be... to sort of have all of those, those talents all together at once while still being pretty, essentially, unexperienced?
3: So he is a total superstar. But you're right, he's not experienced. And I think that we haven't been able to see how that's going to tell. So so far he hasn't had a lot of missteps but it doesn't take a lot to misstep so let's look at something that's going to be quite substantive right a substantive point is what happens with this two meter thing and this is a really big political and also policy gamble because we are coming out of lockdown slowly we don't know yet what this is going to do to the 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 famous r rate and the infection rate so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that actually he's calling this wrong. I don't have the expertise to say whether that is true or not, and I'm not privy to those decisions, but actually we don't we don't know whether you know how he's making the d- decisions and you know what his fine balance is and experience in this instance probably helps you uh, a lot more. so we don't know how this is going to tell yet I think
2: I agree with that sama the other thing is it's all very easy to be very popular with the general public and he is hugely popular with the general public when you're paying the wages of millions and millions mm. of people but the, <laughs> yeah. pa- the pain the pain is going to come and he said this himself an unprecedented recession on the horizon the britain of next year could look very different to the britain of this year and and it's going to be that that is going to be the true test i mean it, it's it's all very well when you're splashing the cash jeremy corbyn style to be popular with people but the measures and the pain that Britain's gonna to have to go to. Now, they've said no austerity. They haven't ruled out t- uh, some kind of tax rises for some people. I imagine the pension's triple lock could go. I imagine there could be other tax rises, some tax cuts. It's gonna be very, very challenging then certainly hit this kind of riding highs at the moment, it's going to be much more difficult to do that.
3: Yeah, and against the backdrop of Brexit as well, because everybody keeps forgetting that, you know, there's, there's been all this news around the fact that we are still leaving as timetabled, regardless of COVID. We still need to uh, intersperse that impact into um, the way that we are thinking about what's going to happen to the economy later, not just in this particular silo of what's happening to um, your growth uh, as a result of this particular crisis.
1: It was noticeable, I thought, in some of the polling around all of the sort of prominent cabinet ministers on coronavirus. If you look at Rishi Sunak, people basically didn't know who he was. When he did his first, you know, I'll do whatever it takes speech, where I think it was he spent a mere 12 billion pounds before it became sort of 350 billion a week later. (laughs) Um, And and it just soared and soared at that point. And then just as there were starting to be some questions about how long is the furlough going to last, the furlough scheme going to last for? Is there more help for this scheme and that scheme and this group and that group? And it started telling off a bit. And then he announced an extension to furlough and it shot up again. And maybe it's because when he does appear, he's a sort of reassuring voice. He gives, it does give the impression of knowing what he's doing. But if, if your popularity is linked quite closely to whether or not you've got the checkbook out again, you can't keep doing that forever.
3: It's not just that, though, is it? Because he, as you pointed out in your introduction he looks different to everybody else. And I don't just mean that he's, you know, uh, f- from a ethnic minority background, the stuff that he says is different, the tone that he strikes is different. And actually, when you're looking at the senior leaders in, in cabinet, the senior ministers in cabinet, there's the prime minister and then there's the chancellor. And you have this sense, and it's just, it's just a comms thing, really, it's presentational. You have this sense that, you know, you've got The Prime Minister, who's kind of very bolshy, wants to talk about Britain being great and all this kind of stuff and being able to to manage through, through anything. And then you've got this very considered Chancellor who actually is going out and giving a tough message. So yes, he's paying people's wages at the moment, but he knows that there is going to be a reckoning at some point. So he's very clear that he's laying down that message and saying, actually, things are going to get really, really bad and they could get bad really, really quickly. And these are the things that I need to consider. So he already understands understands that and he, he's managing it so it's not his popularity I don't think is just um in the context of the fact that he's he's splashing the cash it also is that he looks so different to everybody else and I think people want someone like that
2: there's a character issue there as well Salma so really interesting what you're saying about the contrast between him and Boris Johnson. So Boris Johnson is kind of a classic ego politician in a way. He is a very, you know, he's got very strong opinions. He's the loudest voice in the room, flamboyant language, all of that stuff. Rishi Sunak isn't like that. He is confident, but he's actually a kind of slightly new breed of politician we've not seen for a long time. He's a geek politician, right? He's the guy that loves Star Wars. He's got lightsabers at home. You know, he did his uh, mother's accountancy books in the pharmacy when he was growing. Up, he's not a big kind of swaggering ego, and that's quite unusual in politics. And I think people quite like that bit of humility that he has. And he seems to have a self-confidence.
1: I mean, I suppose you can be when you're in that job in the Treasury. And you're in that job because the last guy resigned and it wouldn't look great if the Prime Minister lost two chancellors in quick succession. So he's he's got probably more job security than most around the Cabinet table. But he's got the confidence that, you know, at the beginning of last week, Downing Street says on behalf of the Prime Minister that Britain is not a racist country. And then Rishi Sunak has actually got the confidence to say, well, I've I've got something to say about this. I'm not going to hide away because this is a sort of difficult subject. And he tackles it head on and he puts out a statement saying that as a British Asian, of course I know that racism exists in this country, then talks about how he understands that people are angry and frustrated, but you know, we've got to work together towards a common goal of ending it. It was a very mature response in a way that the sort of, oh, we'll double the sentences for everyone who assaults a police officer, or we'll we'll lock them up, or, you know, the, the sort of the knee-jerk, easy play-to-the-base sort of culture war response that we've seen from some of his cabinet colleagues.
3: I think I'm right in saying that Rishi Sunak, before he came into politics, did some work for a think tank policy exchange around BAME issues. So I think he comes at it from a perspective that is quite, has a lot of substance to it. And I think that's probably the key word that I would use about this Chancellor, is that he's incredibly substantive. And so... He also recognises that as a senior uh, ethnic minority minister, he can't have the same kind of attitude and the same kind of language and the same kind of messaging because there's lots of people who are looking to him to offer that kind of leadership. And I think that kind of sensitivity Mm. um, in a politician is also quite rare. And I think, Steve, you're totally right. It does come, it's, it's the total opposite of that ego-driven politician that's kind of like, you know, I say it, I have this position, therefore it must be true. And Rishi's seemingly attitude is that actually I I need to be able to offer people something because I, I do hold this unique position and therefore I can't be the same as everyone else.
1: Steve, what's what's the mood in the Tory party? Because when MPs were allowed in the chamber properly and, and before the, the lockdown sort of took Full effect. You had this very strange sensation. You'd have the Chancellor making a statement announcing loads of money. Lots of Tory MPs, particularly the new intake, the 29 intake, asking for more money. You know, what you want some more money for the self-employed or more money for the tourism industry and that sort of thing. And actually, the people who dominated the conversation for the last few years, the Tory old guard, if you like, who, you know, also happened to be quite strong Brexiteers. They were sort of slightly silenced, the ones who, who might have been expected to say, hang on a minute, this is a bit sort of state intervention-y, you know, do we want to be spending all this money? It's, it's taxpayers' money after all. Is there a tension in the Tory party? It seems at the moment to be sort of managed to ride both horses.
2: There was a silence in, in the party at the time of the spending. That's, that's right. I mean, there were privately people very concerned by the scale of it, but they, they got the need for it and they bought the argument that, you know, if you do this now the harm will be less later. But if you look at it now, if you look at, you know, Ian Duncan Smith, David Davis... There is an absolute like, full-on revolt going on over the two-metre rule. Some of the things that I've been hearing from Tory MPs about their opinions about Boris, they're accusing him of dithering, they're accusing him of being scared, lacking courage and conviction. It's the kind of quotes you used to get about Theresa May when she was at, you know, towards the end and people were saying very rude things about her. They feel very strongly about the lockdown and exactly as you said there, Matt, Rishi Sunak is riding two horses, so he is also the cabinet minister that is leading the charge to reduce the two metre rule. So he isn't getting the flak, he's the guy that's going before the 22, suggesting it should be reduced. Um, So it enables him to kind of appeal to both sides. But when the history books are written on this, one of the most extraordinary things that we'll look back at is the scale of the amount the government has spent on saving people's jobs. And it makes Corbynomics look, you know, like a relative footnote in history. It's absolutely stupendously massive. And Rishi Sunak is the Chancellor who's delivered that and has managed to bring most of the grandees with him.
1: Yeah, it turns yeah. out Jeremy Coleman did win the argument after all, as he tried to suggest. It. <laughs> um, in a sec, um, we need to talk about the hoodie and the social media. Uh, we'll be back after this short break.
3: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the important stuff now, Salma. Let's talk about Rishi Sunak's Instagram account. This is what really matters.
3: Oh, totally. In, in, I, I mean, I I did a lot of comms in government, so this is this would have preoccupied most of my day had I had I been in government and still doing Instagram I think his social media is really brilliant because not only is it a comparison to the much derided sort of Tory social media previously which was a bit below par <laughs> <laughs> but also he's like I, I love the fact that he's not afraid of getting into these situations like where he just pops into John Lewis and starts putting some stickers down on the on the floor and he gets it up on Instagram I think I think a lot of the stuff is quite it's quite fun. It shows him in a different light. It shows that he's quite approachable, and also just these kind of wonderful sort of portrait shots that are of him on Downing Street, you know, doing the clap for carers, and kind of like romanticized pictures. Do you know what I mean? It's all the like, dishy-rishy stuff. I think is very much supported by the by the pictures that are out on his Twitter and his Instagram. Let's not
1: beat about the bush. He's a good looking man. He's a slim man. There was one. I think was it, in John Lewis? it was in John Lewis. It wasn't John Lewis. There's one of him on an escalator, sort of looking sideways, and there's in the background there's I think a mannequin. You can just see the legs of a mannequin. There's almost catalogue model about him. He's just such a. <laughs> um, he's just very well turned out. He's a good-looking, well-dressed man. Which, even that, marks him out a bit in Westminster. Um, you know, the, the, the Prime Minister is not a man who necessarily would be described as well dressed or, you know, sharp suited. Oh,
3: listen, I do not think Rishi's the only one. I mean, Dominic Raab cuts quite a nice figure. He's, like, well dressed and he's got, you know, good physique.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that's a catalogue I'm buying from. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah no he's he's definitely nicely turned out although although it does suggest something doesn't it so you know boris has obviously got this whole shtick down you know with the ruffled hair and the slightly unkempt appearance which actually in many circles people thought that that went in his favour and I don't know if there was any polling done about it but it is like drawing that contrast again between the two guys it is quite interesting that you know this is what Rishi is like he's sort of very tidy looking isn't he very well put together very in control and I think that does speak to I think trying to I don't know if his communications team is actually doing this purposefully I doubt it but it does again And, you know, just at a glance, draw that comparison between the two.
1: And I suppose it's sort of, you know, man of the moment type stuff that actually Boris Johnson's ruffled appearance has, has, you know, got him through so much over the years. Uh, But more often in sort of lighthearted moments, if you like, you know, at the middle of a media scrum at party conference or a photo op that goes a bit skew whiff or whatever it might be but actually at this moment you want a guy who looks like he's in control and somebody who can dress himself and string a <laughs> sentence together is it is not a bad start <laughs> you, you the know.
3: bar is very low these days <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, We should should talk about his background a bit, Matt, if you've got a moment for that. So one of the things that most interests me about Rishi is, if you look at him, he's actually like a caricatured Tory politician in many ways. He went to one of Britain's leading private schools, went to Winchester. He was the head boy. He went on to do PPE at Oxford, I think. He went on to work at Goldman Sachs. He then went to work for a hedge fund. So in 2014, he became an MP. So in every step of the way, he is your archetypal Tory MP, except he is from an immigrant background family. His dad was a GP here. His mum was a pharmacist. Like I said earlier, he did the books at the pharmacy. He was always drawn to accounting. And actually, when he went to university, he had no interest in politics and spent his time working in something called The Investment Club, trading stocks and shares. So he, in many ways, is at once both a very, very typical conservative you know, MP and, and, and Tory chancellor, arguably, and another, he's completely different to, to a lot of what's been before.
3: Do you know what's really interesting about that, Steve, just going back to an earlier point uh, that we made about him sort of being able to ride these two horses, mm-hmm. you know, economically within the Conservative Party? I think that does speak to the fact that probably all his life he's he's had to manage, you know, two sides of oneself. You know, I, I'm from an immigrant background and there is that sense of kind of like dual identity and trying to fit into an establishment, so to speak, that doesn't really reference your own background or your own cultural references so I wonder if that's that is kind of part of his political thinking that that background and that sort of thing that he's always had to sort of manage and find some way of being in the middle
1: is that something that you think given the Tory party's history do you someone uh, from a non-white background going into the Tory party do you have to sort of work harder to reassure everyone that you are one of them is it is that what he's been doing is that what you had to do?
3: I don't think it's as obvious as that that you've got to sort of, you know, you don't feel like actually anybody's sort of judging you in that way and why why would you? They're your friends and your colleagues and you know you you get on because actually the the enemy is the labor party so you don't really see that that same difference in yourself. But I think there there are like little things will probably um, set you apart. So, you know, there were lots of, when I first joined the Conservative Party, there were lots of like references that I didn't understand that related to Anglicanism. And, you know, there'd be like, you know, drinks with researchers after work. And I and I do remember thinking, I don't really, I don't really know what this or that, means. And so if you, if you haven't grown up in that particular environment, you are slightly cut out of things, not because anybody's attempting to do that on purpose, but just because that isn't your, your frame of reference. I can't speak for, for Rishi in terms of his experiences, but I do think it actually ends up being an advantage because you're bringing something to the table that nobody else has. And I think from my experience with the Conservative Party, that was always welcomed with open arms that we we do want to make an effort to understand how different people think and we do want to be inclusive. And it was one of David Cameron's great achievements in terms of pushing up our ability to appeal to ethnic minority voters, because it was that kind of inclusive conservative agenda and, you know, trying to bring people in, even though they might have a traditional Tory upbringing and, and traditional um, Tory careers, as Rishi has had, there is something that is different about the way that we see the world. And I think being able to, to bring that in and make that a part of the conservative story has been one of the strengths of the party over the last 10 years.
1: It's really interesting. So, just, just finally, then, just to totally undermine the whole point of the podcast, are we over egging things? Is there, I mean, there's no, Boris Johnson is not going anywhere for now, although there's no doubt at all that being the Prime Minister that took the country through coronavirus and, and somehow ended up with perhaps the most deaths and the worst economic impact is going is to be a tricky one to explain come the, the time of the next election. Is it really a, a, a threat to Boris Johnson? Is Rishi really a leadership rival?
2: Steve? I don't think he's a rival. I think, I think he, he understands he's doing the stock answer. If you ask him, you know, do you see yourself as prime minister one day? He's doing the stock answer of I serve under Boris Johnson. He's the prime minister, etc. But I think certainly the next five, 10 years, we're going to probably see something around that emerging because he is at the moment the logical choice for the, the next potential conservative prime minister. And he's a very unusual guy with a very unusual skill set in absolutely extraordinary times.
3: I think what's interesting about this is that every cabinet minister at some point imagines themselves being PM, right? I mean, every anybody who goes into politics or is elected, you know, imagines having the highest office in the land. So there's no doubt in my mind that it, you know, he probably has thought about it and, you know, has thought about how he might want to go about doing it. Is he a rival? No, I don't think he wants to topple Boris Johnson and take that position. I think it's about that anointed successor uh, position and, you know, who is going to be coming through the funnel for, for this next job? Because the Conservatives have been in power for 14 years. There's now a credible opposition and Keir Starmer is looking very attractive to people. So naturally, you have to start thinking about what's going to come next and what looks fresh and what looks great. Now, we are still in this massive crisis. We are going to have to deal with the fact that we have the highest death rate in Europe and the economic impact subsequently. So it might be that it's never going to be Rishi's time, even though we all get excited about it now, because a week is a long time in politics.
1: Yeah, but I mean, this f- f- last four months has been a very long time in politics. <laughs>
3: it's not normal, Matt. I mean, it's just not normal. Not, Matt,
2: you'll know this, but like having when, when I remember when I first met Rishi and you start talking to him when he was like a junior minister... A lot of the conversation was like dominated by talking about Southampton Football Club and Matt Letizier. And it, that wasn't that long ago. We're talking about under, you know, a year and a half ago. And now the guy's chancellor during the most extraordinary period in, in British pol- political history, or one of them. It's, um, it's yeah, it's quite something else. It is. I
1: suppose the thing that's striking about it is that actually nobody knew who any of the cabinet was really beyond Boris Johnson until this crisis. And actually one of the, the impacts of the daily press conferences is that that lots of them have had chance to audition in front of the nation, whether that's, you know, Dominic Raab standing <laughs> in for the Prime Minister, you know, Matt Hancock, uh, Priti Patel. And what we've seen, if you look at the Ugov tracker over time, is that all of them, their sort of name recognition has gone up. But the only one who's really enjoyed a big spike in popularity is... Rishi, and for some reason, every time Pretty appears on the telly, her uh, ratings go down. Matt Hancock, I think, having enjoyed a little uptick at the beginning, it, it has it has tailed off because I think he's become a lightning rod for everything that's gone wrong in the NHS. And somehow, so far, Rishi seems to have got around that. Although, if you look at the polling, you know, almost half of people are concerned about their personal finances over the next 12 months. And, uh, you know, if the economy, if and when the economy does take a pop proper nosedive, people start losing their jobs, their personal finances have been hit. A, a jolly Instagram account probably isn't going to going to be enough for him. So well, quite exactly.
3: Out. So he's he's got to really he will be tested when the worst starts to hit. And I think we should probably revisit this uh, discussion in about three months' time and see where we are then.
1: Well, that's a date. Times Radio. We'll book it in now. Well.
3: <laughs> <Brill. laughs>
1: Always a pleasure to have you both on. Thank you to Salma and Steve. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, ACAST, Spotify, wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. And you can sign up to get um, the latest news on Times Radio launching. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Times Radio. But for now, uh, my thanks to Salma and to Steve. For me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
3: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.